Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships rolling here on a Sunday morning. I appreciate that intro, Joshua. Soothing music to uh, guide you into Sunday morning with my soothing voice. Um, we'll see how long it stays that way because there's a lot going on. Obviously, a lot to talk about this morning. Um, some great games last night, I guess. We can get into that. Um, but, you know, there was there was a... I don't know if I call it a report or some news that broke yesterday or some narrative that's out there or some rhetoric that made me uncomfortable about the New England Patriots that's that's out there, okay? Now, you know, when Robert Kraft came out on, uh, what was it, Thursday morning and it, it became apparent that the Patriots are moving on from Bill Belichick, I 100% agreed with the move. 100% agreed with the move. And I'm going to tell you what, I know we've had a few days to digest it, but the way it all went down, I just want to go on the record being on WEI here in Boston on this Sunday morning that I was absolutely for the way they handled everything on Thursday. I was for it. Initially, and maybe this is the old beat reporter in me, but I was disappointed that Bill Belichick did not take questions. I mean, I wanted to hear him react to the, the different inquiries from the media that were going to be present, obviously and see how he handled that scenario. However, after watching the whole thing unfold, um, I was okay with him not answering questions. I actually think it would have kind of ruined the moment. Call me a sentimental fan. Uh, maybe I'm operating with too much emotion. I don't care. The, the press conference would have become cantankerous at some point. You know there would have been questions he wouldn't have answered. Now, maybe he would have just answered or not answered those questions in a more polite fashion, like a lot of the other coaches in this town do, instead of being so gruff and rough with the media that he, like, you know, the way Belichick always was, which is fine. You know, maybe he wouldn't have been as unpleasant in not answering those questions as he normally is. But I was okay after watching everything kind of go down the way it went down with Bill Belichick not answering questions. I thought Robert Kraft handled it well. You know, if he asked Robert, it, it, look, it wasn't in the best interest of the roster. I'll admit that. Maybe it wasn't what was best for the team. But I'm going to just start with this, and we don't have to get back into it. I just want to make it clear. If I'm Robert Kraft, and I've had a relationship and a partnership with this man for 24 years, he's brought me six Super Bowls, drafted Tom Brady. I mean, you know, <laughs> there is no Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. Forget about the whole thing of on the field and everything Brady accomplished, just from Robert Kraft's perspective, there's no Tom Brady without Bill Belichick, and he doesn't forget that. 
That's the guy that delivered Tom Brady for him. However much of the pie you want to divvy up in terms of what Belichick's credit was and what Brady's credit was, Bill Belichick delivered Tom Brady for Robert Kraft. He doesn't forget that. So if if Robert Kraft doesn't want to, I don't know, play hardball with Bill Belichick at this juncture after six Super Bowls and 20 years of Tom Brady, I don't blame him. If he prioritized the relationship in that moment, I honestly don't blame him. I would have done the same thing. Because, yeah, maybe it got, maybe it would have gotten a little bit sticky had you, you know, really dug your feet in and tried to get draft compensation for Bill. I don't know what that would have done. Maybe you get a first round pick, maybe you get a third round pick. I don't think whatever pick you would have gotten, though, would have been worth sacrificing or putting at risk the relationship you had with that guy for 24 years and after all that success. I don't think it was worth it. And neither did Robert Kraft, and I agree. I wouldn't have done it either. So I'm not going to get on him for that. If Robert Kraft wants to bring Bill out, and that's probably why Belichick came out and was as accommodating as it appeared he was. He appreciated that his boss handled it that way. Now, this was a different situation, okay? And this is why, you know, no offense, but this is why I didn't care all that much about the Seth Wickersham piece and the, whatever was going on there with how it went down. And how, Look, this was over, baby. You understand me? This was over. When Wickersham and those types of journalists came out with articles in, I don't know, circa 2019, leading to the end of the Brady era, that was different. That was more interesting to me. Why? Because at that time, at least in my mind, it didn't have to end. Didn't have to end at that time. And I wanted to know what caused it to end. How did we get here? How did it get this bad? Brady was the first to go. Now, I don't think any of us at that point, you know, some more than others. I don't think any of us, though, at that point, realized that, it was that much Brady over Belichick. You know, I always knew it was more Brady than Belichick. I'm on the record. But I don't think any of us knew it was that much more Brady over Belichick. If you thought it was 60% Brady, 40% Belichick, it turned into, I mean, you can figure out the numbers, whatever you want. 70-30, 75-20, whatever it was, it was more, it was probably more than 60-40. Um, and I think Robert Kraft misjudged that. In fact, I would say that's probably the biggest mistake he made. Robert Kraft did not judge properly the impact of Tom Brady. And what I mean is, and this is the one thing I will reference about the piece from Wickersham, you know, the quote, um, and I actually don't have it exactly right in front of me, but I'll paraphrase, and it was something along the lines of, Bill told me that he couldn't play anymore, and then he goes out and wins the bleeping Super Bowl. Okay. I think Robert Kraft would have been able to digest that a little better. Okay, I think what was the worst thing, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. I didn't want to see Tom, I mean, Tom Brady winning in Tampa stung as a Patriots fan. Okay, but you could have digested that. What I think I had a harder time digesting and what maybe Robert Kraft had a harder time digesting 
was the fact that as soon as Brady left, the quote-unquote Patriot way evaporated. And it immediately took shape down in Tampa. That's the worst part about Tom Brady leaving. Not the fact that he went there and had the success and ended up winning a Super Bowl and there's all the images of him celebrating in the red and white uniform of Tampa. I mean, you could that's, that wasn't fun for Robert Kraft, I'm sure, but he can... Somewhere he was probably happy for Tom Brady and he could handle that. I think what was worse, and if he did want to move on from Belichick sooner, and what really pissed him off, it was probably the same thing that pissed me off. The exposure that the Patriots got without Tom Brady and how they looked. That Patriot way, that culture of discipline and all this stuff was gone. It eroded and it set itself up in Tampa immediately. The whole Patriot way, the whole Patriot culture was about Tom Brady. I mean, Danny Amendola says it as much in this doc that's coming out next month. We worked for Bill. We played for Tom. Some of us saw that a long time ago. Some didn't. The Belichick, it's more Belichick than Brady. It's more the system. He developed them. No, no, no. I think that's what bothered Robert Kraft the most. That the system, the culture, evaporated the second Brady left. And not not only was it not as good, they put Bill put an exclamation point on it this year with the type with the type of record that they had and the type of season that they had. Now I'm not here to pile on, but I'm telling you that's why I didn't care about this Seth Wickersham article. This was over. There was no going back. Bill Belichick's run here was over, respectfully. Nobody has more attitude, uh, gratitude and appreciation for what Bill Belichick did here than I do. But it was over. So how it ended or what was going on, all the details surrounding the end, I mean, I guess it's interesting, but I don't really, like, I don't really care. It was over. Unlike in 2019... When it didn't have to be over. Brady didn't have to leave then, and they could have tried to run it back. They could have tried to load up. They could have tried to do what Tampa did or gone for it a little bit harder or whatever you want to say. That's what ended everything. This was over. So you want to feed me some details? You want to feed me some information on what happened or why it went like that? Fine. But it was done. And now, I mean, it's still weird. Even today, it's three, four days later, I'm waking up and I'm still trying to process that Bill Belichick is no longer the head coach of the New England Patriots. Super weird. Been the head coach of the New England Patriots um, since the boy band era, since I was in middle school. You know? A lot of things changed since then. I have no idea why I referenced the boy band era. (laughs) Okay. All I'm saying is what we know is that it's time to move on. And the Patriots certainly did that in a swift fashion. And, you know, they I thought Robert Kraft, not only did he execute whatever you want to call that thing with Bill Belichick the other day in an acceptable way, but I thought he handled the press conference well. I thought he answered the questions in an honest and open fashion. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a situation where 
I've heard people criticize the way it was handled. Again, if I'm Robert Kraft, I do not care what people think. And I know he does care what people think. That's why he tried to build Belichick out there the way that he did. So I know that he cares what people think. But you handle that the way you want to handle that. And you know what? He did. And I'm for it. You know, if he wants the images out there of him and Belichick hugging and shaking hands on the podium on the last day. You know, and people can tweet the pictures of them shaking hands at the intro press conference and then shaking hands at the podium at the outro press conference or whatever. Good. I think Bill knew it was over. It certainly sounds like the crafts were good with it being over. And I thought that, that it was handled as smoothly as possible. Look, none of these things are ever smooth. You know, I don't know why we all got so caught up in how... None of these things ever end well. Phil Jackson. Tom Landry. I mean, you could go down the list. It is a rare occurrence when one of these legends walks away into the sunset, no problem, no issues. I mean, it, that's what makes them great. Their ferocious competitiveness and the drive they have. They don't want to give it up. They're not willing to give it up. They think they still have it when they don't anymore. There's egos at play. There's reputation. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. So it, we don't have to get all crazy that there was, it was, you know, a little turbulent here and there on the way out. It's okay. That's sports. That's these scenarios. I think by and large, Brady and Belichick ended as smoothly as you could hope. Because that's important for this whole Patriots dynasty. I mean, I talked about that four or five years ago. How it ended was important. The biggest mistake, and maybe we'll find out more next month when that doc comes out. The biggest mistake now, looking back on it, was letting Brady go. Letting him walk when you let him walk. And you know what? Him winning the championship in Tampa... Stuck a fork in everything that you wanted to do in terms of having a perfect ending. Because he won in another place. And you know deep down, if you just supported him correctly, he could have won again. He wasn't done. And we knew that at the time. He wasn't done. The most frustrating thing about this whole scenario, and I'm not going to make this point again because Bill Belichick is no longer here, what frustrates me the most about this whole scenario is the approach that Bill Belichick took with his coaching staff these last few years. It was clear that it wasn't good enough. Robert Kraft had to intervene. It was Robert Kraft behind the hiring of Bill O'Brien, apparently. And it just, anybody could see it. If you had eyes, it wasn't good enough. He was hiring the people he wanted to be around at this stage of his career. His friends' kids, his kids, Matt Patricia, familiar names. He wasn't hiring anybody and everybody that could help the team get to a higher level, a la Steve Spagnola with the Chiefs. Andy Reid bringing in a veteran defensive coordinator to coordinate his defense. There was none of that. And what's most disappointing is that if you were going to do that, which is – arguably a bad way to go, you know? No matter who's on your team, no matter who's your quarterback, but if you were going to do that and execute your coaching staff in that way, why would you not do it 
with Tom Brady. Why would you be so willing to let Brady walk when he was the co he was basically the coach of the offense and the culture? If you kept him, you could have done probably whatever you wanted and still been relevant, still probably competed for Super Bowls. You could have had your brother's kids, your friend's kids, your wife's ex-wife's kids, what whoever be on the coaching staff with Brady as quarterback. Your nephew, your grandson, have all of them on the staff if Brady's the quarterback. I'll never understand why he was so okay letting Brady walk and then having his coaching staff be a collection of people that were either related to him or in you know had some sort of past relationship to him and maybe weren't the best people for the job. I mean, Devin McCourty praised Steve Belichick when he left or at one point to, because he admitted when he took the job he knew nothing. That's the praise Devin McCourty had. And he was legitimate and sincere in his praise. I mean, he, he, I guess gained respect for Steve Belichick for admitting that, but he, he, that's what he said. He knew nothing. And now we move forward with Gerard Mayo. Okay, and I'm going to tell you a few things. Um, you know, when we get back, this Gerard Mayo, um, I like to hire, but there is one thing that... We heard yesterday and we've been hearing that I do not like that if it doesn't change or if this is the way the Patriots are going to go about it, I'll be very uncomfortable all spring, all summer, and into next fall. And I'm going to get to that next. 617-779-7937. I'm Mark Dundale with you. Now it's time to trend. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back. Download the Odyssey app and listen on demand anytime. All right, back here on WEI, Mark Dundero with you until 10 a.m. Getting you set for another round of wild card games Sunday afternoon and night. Good games last night. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Trying my best here to execute my soothing Sunday morning voice, Joe Show. Trying to get you some good uh, music for that. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's not my strong suit, I'll be honest with you. But you know, we'll get some more energy in in the next. Uh, yeah, as the morning goes on, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. pick it. I, I just want to try to if people are waking up, you know. Um. Yeah, good. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't see the Browns getting blown out by the Texans. I didn't think that was going to be the case. I'm I, I'm a C.J. Stroud supporter, um, and I know the defense contributed with a couple scores. Stroud looks good. Um, I I didn't make a mistake. Um, and I'm a little disappointed for whatever reason. I I mixed up the seeds, and I was hopeful that I was hopeful that the um, the Chiefs would be in a position to go to Baltimore in the divisional round, but that's not possible because they're the third seed. But even though we're not going to get that game, um, 
the Texans at the Ravens is interesting. And as a, you know, with the Patriots not being in the playoffs, all I'm doing is trying to find interesting matchups. I'm looking, I'm rooting for the best matchups possible. That's why I was rooting for Buffalo to beat Miami last week. Because I didn't want to see a rematch this weekend in Miami of the same game. And I wanted to see how Miami handled the cold. And they didn't handle it well. Tua didn't handle it well. Which is, by the way, really depressing. Not that I cared. But, I mean, you just, you know, it goes to show you got this top five pick at quarterback. You got him all the weapons you could ever ask for. You got him a head coach that is really competent on the offensive side of the ball and play calling and scheming and philosophy and all those things. And you still can't come close to winning a game against a good team. With all those things in place, you stink away from home. You stink in the elements. And I know most of this is Tua. You know, I wasn't in love with the game plan of the Miami Dolphins last night. And I think, you know, the more I think about it, I sort of understand. Because they were clearly trying to establish the run and run the football and commit to the run and all that. But that's not your strong suit. Even though it was cold, even though you have Tua, I think they should have been trying to throw the ball and be aggressive. Then if you get a lead, maybe you can try to lean on the running game because you would have had Kansas City off balance a little bit. That's your strong suit. That's what you do far and away better than anything else. I mean, you ran the ball well with Raheem Mostert this year. I understand that. But you needed to throw. You needed to abandon the running game plan a lot sooner than they did last night, and they didn't do it. They tried. I get it. Decimated defense. You want to keep Mahomes off the field. You try to control the clock. They couldn't do anything of the sort. They waited too long last night to abandon that run-first game plan. And it ruined them. They weren't probably going to win that game anyway. Um, you can get back into some of the games games today. 617-779-7937. Do you think that game goes any differently in Miami? Maybe. I still would have picked the Chiefs. Um, you know, it's one of those situations, the defending champs, it's the playoffs, Mahomes. you got to put them down before I buy it. You know, that they're going to go out. Um, I mean, I probably would have picked the Chiefs. If the Chiefs had won the way they won last night, if they were playing Baltimore, I know that's impossible. I would have picked probably the Chiefs just because I trust Mahomes that much. I just trust him that much, and their defense is good, if not very good. It's not like he's trying to carry the whole team. Um. Going to Balt, I mean, I'm sorry, going to Buffalo, if that's what ends up happening, will be an interesting matchup. But I just, I, a Tua, I'm not a Tua guy. I don't support, I, I don't trust them. Just, I know at home it's a different situation, but I'm not picking Miami at home over Kansas City. Not going to do it. Probably would have been a more, but that game, I don't think was, that game wasn't possible. Not with the way the Dolphins finished the season, not winning the division. It wasn't possible to face the Chiefs in Miami. I would have been interested in that one. Um, but, I mean, Tua, they, they had no chance. Yeah, they had no chance cool. to go there and win that way. I think if they were going to win, I thought they would have had to try to do what they've done all year, say F the conditions, F the cold. We're going out there and we're slinging it. We're playing Miami Dolphins football, and they would have had to execute at a high level, which... 
isn't easy to do against that defense. That was their only chance. I, I mean, going up there and running down the Chiefs' throats, I don't, they're too good along the defensive line. Chris Jones, I don't think it was going to happen. Um, and they just they couldn't execute. Tua wasn't good enough. So the Chiefs are moving on. That's more interesting for the league. Um, what will be interesting here in New England is basically everything going forward. Um, you know, I'm for the Gerard Mayo hire. Would I have preferred Mike Vrabel? Yes. But I'm open to giving Gerard Mayo a chance. Okay, now he's, a, he's based on what everybody is saying and reporting, the players love this move, and I'm for that. Gerard Mayo is a people-first coach, and I'm absolutely for that. I think that jives with what coaches today need to be with the type of player that's in the NFL today. They need to be about the players. They need to be about, I'm not going to say coddling, but I mean, they need to be careful about how they treat the players the players expect to be treated like professionals and like they're the priority and like that their feelings are being considered. And it feels like Gerard Mayo does all those things. So I'm I'm for it. And I think that's going to be a good thing for him. You know. So basically what we know is, it appears, so maybe I shouldn't say what we know is, but it appears as if he can lead a, a room, lead men, so that's number one. And that he has a good sense and a good ability um, to execute the X's and O's of football from a defensive perspective. So he's good X's and O's coach on defense, and he can lead men. That's a really good start. That's a really good start. Here's the bad news. The coach you just fired could do the same things. Even up till now. Even up until the day they let him go, he could do the exact same things. He could lead men, because I think the locker room still respected Bill Belichick and played for Bill Belichick. I don't think anyone rolled over. I don't think anybody just gave in or gave up on the season. And he was still an effective, if not competent, if not excellent, defensive coach in terms of a defensive game plan. The defensive X's and O's. Bill Belichick, I don't think, really lost much on his fastball in that regard. So that is exactly what you hired again. Now it's a different man, so that's good. You needed, an, I think, a, you know, when the when the Celtics traded Marcus Smart, now it, Chris Porzingis ended up being a hit, and he's been a hit, and Drew Holiday's awesome, obviously. But I think there was just an element to you remove Marcus Smart and things will be, you know, things get better. You'll have a benefit just from removing him. Not to be negative about Marcus Smart. I just think they needed a change there and they needed a different energy. You take Marcus Smart out, I think things change for the better. I think there's an element of that here in play. No matter who you bring in, it was good to remove Bill Belichick respectfully. I think you just needed a change in voice. And that's what they're getting. That's what they got. So you're getting a change in voice. So that's good. You're getting a guy that has the same strengths, which is good. The problem is you need more. And that's what they didn't have. And that's what ruined Bill Belichick. And here's the other thing. If you don't like the Mayo hire, or if you want a reason, and I'm just trying to look at it from all sides here, being on a sports talk show, 617-779-7937. If you don't like it, or if you want a reason 
to have some trepidation? Well, I'll tell you one that you could have, or I'll give you a reason. I appreciate that the Patriots operated with so much conviction when they hired Gerard Mayo and they came right out after, basically the day after releasing or letting Bill Belichick go, they come right out and say, Gerard Mayo is our next head coach. Incredible conviction. It was in his in his contract that he was going to be the successor. The succession plan. They didn't even have to go through the process, the Rooney rule, whatever. They hired him right away. They knew what they wanted. Here's my question, though. Is the reason they put this in his contract, that he would be the successor to Bill Belichick and that they knew it, no questions asked, is it because the Crafts were blown away by the effectiveness and the abilities of Gerard Mayo as a head coach or a potential head coach and that he was a prodigy? Is it because they saw so much potential that they got so excited and couldn't wait to get him into that role? Or is it because Bill Belichick was so bad constructing a staff in his final years with New England, which we all know there were issues there. I mean, Robert Kraft had to meddle and he had to go in and be the one that said, no, 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 get Matt Patricia out. That did not work. Bring in Bill O'Brien. You know, we've been talking about the damn special teams coordinator, Cam Accord, for how many years? People have had him on the chopping block. There were issues with the coaching staff, the kids, all the things, the narratives that are out there. Is the reason they put this into Gerard Mayo's contract, the whole you'll be the successor piece of it, is it because they were trying to do whatever they could just to retain a half-decent assistant on Bill's staff because it had gotten so bad and the brain drain was so evident. Is that why they put this in his contract? Not because he's going to be the next great head coach. Not because they saw all this potential and they love the possibility of, of Gerard Mayo being the next him as a head coach. Is it because the, the offensive and defensive assistant coaches were so bad and so incompetent Steve Belichick taking over the role. Devin McCourty saying he didn't know what he was talking about and him admitting that. It was because they were so bad. You just needed to do whatever you could to retain one of the guys that was at least halfway decent. Maybe your top assistant, most capable assistant. Is that why they put it in the contract to make him the successor? Not because he's some prodigy that they see all this potential in. I'm just asking. So if you want a reason to be skeptical or pessimistic, I mean, that's a possibility. And that's all I'm saying. That is all I'm saying. I don't think Gerard Mayo is going to be a bad head coach. I'm for the move. You know, the only reason I'd be for, the only reason I was more for Mike Vrabel is because he's still young. He has all the qualities and characteristics that Gerard Mayo has, and he's done it. He's been here, and he's done it. He's been in the NFL and has done it with, by the way, not a great quarterback. So he has all the characteristics that Gerard Mayo has, but has figured out offense in his coaching career. I mean, say what you want about Ryan Tannehill. I think the guy that I the one question I would have had for for Mike Vrabel, if I could talk to him, if I, if I could have lunch with him, the one thing I'd want to know, the one honest answer I need to get in 2020, in March of 2020, 
did you want to go after Tom Brady? Did you want to bring Tom Brady into the Tennessee Titans? That's the one thing I would have wanted to know. I heard somebody mention John Robinson as a potential candidate to uh, come back to the Patriots and run personnel. Hell no. Guy screwed up as, as bad as you could have in Tennessee with the whole A.J. Brown thing. No thanks. But the Tennessee Titans, they missed They would have won the Super Bowl if they got Tom Brady. I firmly believe that. The Super Bowl. They would have been what Tampa was. Tennessee would have been that. And I said it at the time. Go look on Twitter. It's there. They were buffoons. For not going after and being a part of the Tom Brady sweepstakes. Because based on what I heard, I don't even know if they were a part of it. Morons. They were coming off of an unbelievable run in the playoffs. They went to the AFC Championship game. They had a chance in that game against the Chiefs. You had the best running back in the league. Okay, you had all this talent. You could have gotten a really... Everybody knew what... Ryan Tannehill was. Okay? You had a rookie wide receiver in A.J. Brown who was coming off of a season, a rookie season, where he caught 52 balls for 1,050 yards and eight touchdowns as a rookie. You could have put him as a second-year guy with Tom Brady and Derrick Henry. They would have won the friggin' Super Bowl. And you blew it. You blew it. In his second year, A.J. Brown, 1,075 yards, 11 touchdowns. They would have won the Super Bowl in 2020. I would have loved to have known if if, if Mike Vrabel was for that. If that was his decision to not go after Brady. Because then I'd lose respect for him. Or if it was John Robinson or whoever was there, whatever. Could have won the Super Bowl. I would have been, I wanted Vrabel. He's done it. He's been here. I love his attitude. I love his the way he, you know, gives people a hard time and likes to bust balls. I think that's a great attitude mentality. I love the, you know, the team takes on the personality of the head coach. I love Mike Vrabel's personality. I would have loved for the Patriots to take on that personality. Now, it's not like I don't love Gerard Mayo or, you know, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with his personality. He's just less proven, and we'll see what happens. Let's talk to uh, Mark in Danvers on last night's game in Kansas City. Hey, Mark. Hello. What's going on? Hi. Good morning. Uh, oh, not too much. Listen, I, I just wanted to uh, give my opinion on last night's uh, Finns game. Uh, that team is a fraud. Okay. Okay. They're, they're a real fraud. I mean, they can't. They cannot beat a good team at home or on the road. Hey, Mark. Um, real quick. I think they won so- in. Fr- the, the Patriots yeah. actually beat more teams with a, a 500 or better record than the Dolphins did this year. <laughs> so what's that tell you, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, just just one quick thing on on that game last night. When when Kansas City scored first to make it seven to nothing, that game was over. It okay. was all right from that point on. I mean, you could tell. Uh, you know, the, the body language of the uh, Dolphin players was uh, horrendous. I mean, even before the game, they were all huddled around the heater. And, you know, uh, it, it just it, it didn't have a good look to it at all. 
And uh, and one other thing there that I found very, very interesting was the, the uh, Finns had two opportunities to light up Mahomes, and they let him get to the sidelines and one time just pushed him out of bounds a little bit. I mean, he, was, he wasn't anywhere near the sidelines, and I think it was number 33, uh, one of their strong, I think their strong safety, the Dolphins' strong safety, had a chance to absolutely light him up. And he and he just kind of like stepped aside. It was it was awful. Yeah, I know that would have hurt a little but, bit more even anyway. in that cold. Well, I mean, you know, you don't get opportunities like that too often uh, to hit a good quarterback. They're usually smart enough to get to the sidelines. But in this case, Mahomes hadn't got to the sidelines. He was still good two yards from from being out of bounds. But. All right, well, thanks for the call, Mark. I mean, listen, they had a chance. I mean, even on the first drive, now not that this would have turned the game, but they throw two bad passes on the first drive. They get into a third and long, and Miami can't get off the field right there. That would have been at least a way to start the game where you get the ball back, you get a three and out, um, but you let Kelsey get wide open, and he makes a good catch, a pitch and catch there on third and long, and they're off and running. Then they go down, they can't even hold him to a field goal, and, you know, Mark might be right. I mean, it was going to be a significant uphill battle from there. Especially, okay, um, especially with what was evident from the start of the game in terms of what the Dolphins' game plan was. The game plan for the Dolphins was to go in there, run the ball, control the clock, keep Mahomes off the field, limit what Tua needed to do because you'd be having success running the ball, and try to win the win the game that way. When you have that game plan, and then on the first drive of the game, the Chiefs go down and get a touchdown, uh, morale is lower than it needs to be in that situation. Especially when you're trying to play keep away, take the air out of the ball, shorten the game. You don't want the opposing team to get the ball and then go right down the field and score a touchdown. Horrible start for the Dolphins, and Mark might be right. That might have ended the game right there based on the game plan and based on what you were trying to do in Kansas City in that spot with the weather, with the elements, your expectations for Tua, obviously not high. Just from a mentality standpoint, watching them march down the field, convert on the third and long, and then march down the field the rest of the way and score a touchdown, first drive, that's a backbreaker. And, you know, really they never could recover. Even the touchdown they scored, um... Sort of a miracle, not a miracle play, but you throw it up to Tyree Kill, he gets the penalty, he catches it, you know, good job. But, it, I mean, they weren't going to live and die by plays like that all night. So, they really couldn't move the ball at all. And based on their game plan, allowing that type of, of first drive was devastating for them. But I don't think they were winning. I don't even know. You know, even in Miami, they were going to have a hard time beating that guy. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Um, when we get back, here's what's really bothering me. Here's what's really bothering me about the New England Patriots and what we're doing going forward because it's, frankly, stunning based on what we're hearing. And we'll get into that when we get back. I'm Mark Dundara with you here on WEI. This is WEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. Here on WEI, Mark Dundaro, 617-779-7937. 
Uh, this is the country we live in. There's a TMZ report out there. Taylor Swift stares googly-eyed at Travis Kelsey after Chiefs playoff victory. Well, I mean... Breaking news. Should I play this the, is what we're talking should about. Should I play the breaking news stuff? Yeah, you need to do that. Because this is, I mean... I'm, you know, I think it's cute and fun and everything that they're together and she's at all the games. That's great. But this, googly eyes? Googly? I mean, I, what are we even doing talking about that? Okay, I'm not going to talk about that. Let's uh, real quick get back to the phones here. Andy's in New Hampshire. wants to talk about Mike Vrabel. Hey, Andy. Hey, good morning, bud. Morning. How you doing? Good Happy now. New Year to you. Happy New Year. First time with you. First time for you, so... Yeah, Mike Vrabel, okay? Like, uh, I just told your producer, right? You know what it is? Mike Vrabel comes at you as a pissant trying to piss off people, right? Yep. Jabs, jabs you and does whatever. I don't I, – I wish Mayo all the best luck in the life. It's not that big a high bar. We have four wins. You know, what is it? Even if he only wins two, it's like, oh, it's his first year. Yep. You see what I'm saying? So it's not a high bar to pass. And you know what Bill's going? Do you know what Bill's going? Okay. You don't know, do you? Do I know where going he's going? To... I don't know where he's going. We can ask some questions about that. We'll talk about that. I'm I, I don't know where he's jet. going. I'm just saying. I'm guessing it's a Jet. That was my first guess. And Aaron Rodgers and last couple of years or whatever. But but a male. I wish Gerard, he just just does a standout job, brings them all together. We do so much better. It would be great for the Patriots, great for New England. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Thanks for the call, Andy, and that would be great. Uh, yes, you're correct. It's not a high bar. Um, okay? It's not a high bar. You need to be a little bit better than four and twelve or four and thirteen, whatever they ended up. Um, but let's not joke around here. The number one, two, and three question that Gerard Mayo and everybody needs to answer within the walls of of one Patriot place is who the hell is going to play quarterback for this team. That's the number one question, and without one. Gerard Mayo will be gone. Mike Vrabel would have been gone. Any coach that you want to bring in without a quarterback ultimately would be gone. I mean, Vrabel, that was his biggest problem. His quarterback was Ryan Tannehill. He had a little bit of a honeymoon period. And that was it. And we all knew that was coming to an end. That's why I was saying they should have gotten Tom Brady in March of 2020, and they didn't. You have nothing if you don't have a quarterback. So it's great that they're confident in Mayo and that he could be the next guy and whatever. He's the youngest coach in the league. The players are for it. Whoop-de-doo. Do you have a quarterback? And who's going to find that quarterback? And at this juncture, I have no idea what the answer to that question is for the New England Patriots, and that worries the hell out of me. That's my big problem because now all of a sudden we're getting reports yesterday that the Patriots might not know what they're doing with their quarterback situation because they might not know what they're doing with their general manager situation or who's running the personnel department. They might not hire a guy before the draft or a girl. They might not hire anybody at all. I'm sorry. You have the most important decision 
that the franchise will face or has faced in the last 30 years looming, standing at your front door, and you're not going to hire somebody that, by all accounts, would be the most qualified person to make that decision? Who's making that decision? And you got a quarter, I mean, you got a head coach that's not an offensive guy either. So we don't even know who is going to coordinate that offense. Is it Bill O'Brien? Is he going to stick around? You're going to go back after Josh McDaniels? You're going to bring in somebody else? Is Jonathan Kraft going to do it? I mean, what are we doing here? This is the most important decision. Now, I don't know. Maybe Matt Groh's been held back by Bill Belichick. Or Elliot Wolf. You know, maybe they would have gone in completely different directions the last few years with the draft, with some of the wide receivers. I don't know. But what I do know is you have to, have to hit on this pick. You have to. If you don't, it will set the organization back years. Years. Not a year. Years. You better hit on this pick. Okay, because, look, you you have a defensive guy, okay, as the head coach. If you get an offensive coordinator that's worth a damn, okay, they're probably going to get hired by somebody else. They'll become the, you know, they'll become the head coach somewhere, and you will lose that person. So I don't know where you're going to go there in terms of an offensive coordinator. That, to be honest, and what's disappointing about what I just said, that lends itself to the notion of potentially, possibly, maybe thinking about bringing back Josh McDaniels, which is another Belichick guy, which I was trying to get away from. You know, this whole thing, I wanted them ideally to clean house. Mike Vrabel would have represented that. Gerard Mayo doesn't represent that. The only reason you even think about bringing back Josh McDaniels is for two reasons, actually. So there's two reasons. Number one is when you had him last, the quarterback you thought might have been part of your future was at least competent. So that's number one. Number two, and I'm not saying you resurrect Mac Jones. The Mac Jones thing is over. But at least McDaniels proved you could make he could make Jones competent. Number two is you know he's never going to get another head coaching job, so he'd be here. That's number two. Sort of like, um, that would be very similar to what the Chiefs did with Steve Spagnuolo. Even more so, I'd argue, because I don't think Josh McDaniels is ever getting another head coaching job. Spags did all those great things with those Giants teams that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Or at least that first Giants team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Was he part of the second team? I don't even remember. Um, but he was a, he was obviously the defensive coordinator for that first Giants team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Then he went to the Saints and he ended up back, you know, a few different stops before settling back in Kansas City. But he was a head coach with the Rams, didn't work out, went back to being a coordinator. I'm good being a coordinator. Josh McDaniel sort of the same thing. And you look how it's worked out in Kansas City. It's been great. Um, 
So that would be a reason to think about Josh McDaniels. I'm just, who's picking the quarterback? When you meet with the media, if I'm going to that press conference on Wednesday when they intro Gerard Mayo, that's all I care about. I don't care about Mayo's thoughts. I don't care about Robert Kraft saying nice things about Matt. I don't care about any of that. Who's picking the quarterback? I'd ask that question six times. Who's the one picking the quarterback? Who's making the decision on the quarterback? Who's going to be tasked with the primary evaluations of the quarterback? Obviously, Gerard Mayo will be involved. Obviously, those guys I just mentioned, Matt Groh, Elliot Wolf, they'll be involved. Who's making the pick? Is Robert making the pick? Somebody's got to make that pick. You can't miss. You can't miss because you need a quarterback that's going to be the CEO of the offense. It can't be the offense coordinator. It can't be the head coach. None of those guys can be the CEO of the offense. It's got to be the quarterback. That's the only chance you have at winning a championship in the NFL, really even being relevant. Your quarterback has to be the CEO of the offense. If your quarterback is not, that means you're limited. Tua is not the CEO of the Miami Dolphins offense. That's Mike McDaniel. He's limited. Brock Purdy is not the CEO of the San Francisco 49ers offense. It's Kyle Shanahan. Purdy is limited. You can make the argument about Jalen Hurts. Maybe last year he wasn't the CEO of the offense. Now this year he is and they're not as good. I don't know. Um, but you know the guys who are the CEOs of their offense. Even if they're not the best quarterback in the league, you know who those guys are. Josh Allen. Mahomes. You have to be the CEO to be an elite quarterback and to really have a chance at winning the Super Bowl. I think Lamar Jackson has played himself into being the CEO of the Ravens offense. Credit to Lamar Jackson. Who's making that pick? <laughs> That's the most important decision this organization will make. You know, I guess you could say Brady, Belichick, the whole thing, making sure Brady was the starter, even when Drew Bledsoe was ready. That was probably the most important decision they made to that point. But, I mean, in terms of a draft pick, the most important decision since Drew Bledsoe. Who is making that pick? That cannot be emphasized enough. All right, hour two. We're going to get into where Bill Belichick might be headed, more of the games this weekend, and more on the Patriots not having a GM. Are they going to get a GM? Chime in. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. I'm Mark Dundare with you here on WEI.